Welcome to the Perky Collar Radio Show, where we talk to entrepreneurs from across the globe to learn why they started their company, what mistakes they've made, what they learned from those mistakes, and they all share an incredible success story. Thank you for tuning in. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Perky Collar Radio Show. I'm your host, David M. Frankel. Today, we're so excited to introduce to you Malcolm Peace. He's the founder of Set Sarah Growth. Good morning, Malcolm. Hey, David. Good morning. Thanks so much for having me. Sure. Thank you. I appreciate you taking the time to be on the show. Oh, my pleasure. Got a dog walk in and then I got to jump on this. This is fun. Excellent. Well, you got to keep the day uh, exciting and different and uh, unexpected. Absolutely. That's, that's the truth. Well, kick us off, Malcolm, with the why. Why did you start Set Sarah Growth? Yeah. So Set Sarah Growth Partners, the whole principle there was there is a group of small business owners that need a secession plan. Now, at the time when I understood this and started seeing the need, wasn't really quite sure how I would become a part of that. And so I came out of grad school, you know, went into traditional private equity, um, learned kind of big transaction business and realized that wasn't for me, um, that there was a lot of things that I just fundamentally wanted to be able to do differently and affect differently that, um, you know, when you're working with multiple, multiple figures of millions of dollars, it's just a different kind of business relationship that you have with the business owner. Um, and so I started working in Austin with another group of partners where we were buying hospitality and food and beverage deals. And through that process, I got a chance to interact with a lot of blue collar kind of industrial type folks um, on these properties that we own. So it would be the septic installer, the, you know, treasure, the guy that was putting in our electrical lines over acres of land, the um, installator for all of the internet services that we were going to have, even down to the guy um, who I thought was the most, you know, whimsical moment that I had in this process um, with a guy that owned a roll-off dumpster and porta potty company. Now, I would have never considered that that would have been a whimsical um, moment, but it truly was because that was when the light bulb went off that there was this, you know, older gentleman who had built this amazing business that really was looking for an opportunity to hand over a business to his son, but his son wasn't interested. And so that was a, a moment where I was like, huh, there's probably more people like this that have these kind of boring, you know, blue collar type businesses in and around Texas that need somebody to take it over and, and continue with the baton in their hand. And um, so as I as I looked more into the space, as we as I started looking at other deals, we came across a food distribution company. Again, all these things I was doing previously to starting Sitzera, where when 2020 came around, I really saw as an opportunity to, for me to go out on my own um, and to go find these businesses that we could implement standard, better standard operating procedures, low code, no code software to really soup up uh, these blue collar type businesses. Very cool. So if you're the son of the guy that owns a roll-off dumpster and portage on business, would you be excited? Yeah, I don't think so. I think most <laughs> wouldn't, but, but I would. Um, I had at the time interacted with a guy that owned a, uh, a brick manufacturing company, like I said, a food distribution company, a chorizo processing company, uh, all in around Texas. And I was just like salivating at the opportunity to run these type of businesses because there's such unique um, 
you know, challenges, but such a, a plentiful amount of low hanging fruit in these types of businesses. Um, a lot of them don't have data tracking. They don't, you know, they don't manage sale tracking. They don't have follow up processes. They don't have all this stuff because I believe it takes a different set of skill set um, to go from zero to seven figures than it does to go from seven to eight. And we play in that seven to eight space. We buy businesses that are doing three to $12 million in revenue. And it just takes a different skill set to be able to grow those types of businesses. And so I have all the respect in the world for folks that you know, are getting started from very from zero um, because it, it truly is um, a real challenge. And um, I just like to play in a different kind of space where I feel like I can utilize my skill set a little bit differently. Excellent. And I'd have to think that this whole junk removal dumpster rollout has just got to be a big boom. I mean, you think, you know, got junk started at all. And then there's all these little companies that have popped up since then. And every time someone moves, and obviously with the housing market the way it was the last five years, a lot of people are moving, a lot of people are getting rid of stuff, and they just don't want to put it all in their car or you can't put it all by the curb. So rollout dumpster seems like it's a really simple business. It doesn't take a lot of equipment, doesn't take a whole lot of manpower, just throw it in the truck and let's haul it away to a, a local dump. Yeah, uh, so it's, it's, and it's such a simple business. Like it doesn't require you know a lot of expertise and law knowledge. Just it, you're just providing a service that people need. And I guess Porter John's probably the same way when it comes to hey, or having an event, or have a lot of people. We only have five bathrooms. Yeah. We need a hundred bathrooms. You know, and it's a way to all of a sudden make bathrooms appear and you know make the event a lot more uh, uh, you know you know accessible to bathrooms and so on and so forth that otherwise wouldn't have been long lines and that would affect the experience people have at those concerts. So it's yeah. a lot of things you just don't think about, but it's like okay, how can I help them in the moment? Where where the concerts happening in Texas? Uh, let's look at the lineup they have outside concerts and how can we make that experience better? So it's kind of cool that these companies have been formed and they solve a problem that people aren't on an everyday basis thinking about, but they really are a problem. Yeah, you're, you're totally right. Total anecdotal story, but I had a friend that, um, he, he had a house being built next to him and he, and, um, prior to the house being built next to him, he had, um, another house next door, um, that, basically they had asked the, the, the owner of that house had asked for a referral on the roofing company to be able to do his roof. And, um, he thought, you know what, this is a multimillion dollar house in central Austin. You know, they should be able to, you know, just crank out a great roof. It'll be great for me. I'm going to, you know, direct source the house next door. <laughs> well, the experience was so bad that the guy actually ended up starting a roofing company. And within two years, he had done about $3 million in sales. Um, and the point was, is that all he said was, I am going to do this in a professional way that is different than the rest. And, and as a result, um, crushed it, absolutely crushed it. And so my point of sharing that is, is that there is a unique chance um, for folks that know how to quote unquote sophisticate or up-level businesses in this space significantly. And, um, you know, my, my whole point of sharing that is I think that that's the skill set that I bring to the table is being able to take complex concepts um, and water them down in such a way that um, it can communicate to various levels within the companies that we own um, in such a way that we can all be on the same path um, and in kind of vision that we're ultimately trying to achieve. And I think the message is also, hey, you can be listening to this podcast and 
you don't have to come up with a, an amazing new idea. You can mm-hmm. just take an idea that's already out there and make it better. And mm-hmm. that could be your business because mm-hmm. everyone's experiencing certain frustration with certain types of businesses. So kind of put your money where your mouth is and make it better. How can you start your own business in that same industry, but make it better in different ways? Like you're talking about, how can I dumb it down, but make it better, more customer service related? How can I make it more efficient? Uh, there's just always ways for improvement. And you don't have to come up with something that's brilliant and brand new. It could just be a better way of doing something, a better mousetrap, so to speak. I completely agree. Um, one of the things that I was speaking to earlier about the zero to seven, that skill set to be able to have a vision of where you're going and getting people on board um, is the skill set you need to do it with a lean, lean budget. Most of the time, you, most people are bootstrapping businesses for the most part. Um, and so as a result, um, you've got to learn how to get a thousand hands um, working in the same direction with this, you know, it's kind of the money ball play, right? Get in, get in working in the same direction with as little out um, cost as possible um, and just driving that business forward. And, and so we do a similar thing in that way, but we take a little bit more sophistication in the sense that we apply software that's necessary and I don't put myself on the org chart. So what we look to do is to make what I would call a centralized business where it's often centralized around the business owner and we make it a decentralized business where um, it is meant to run without the owner. And if it's unable to do that, then it's inefficient in its design. It's inefficient in, in the way that it's producing um, the output for the customer and the employee re- re- you know, experience and all that kind of stuff. So um, that's just the slightly different level skill set. And so you know, speaking to anybody out there that's starting a business, um, at some point that business has to make that transition where it becomes no longer centered around you and it's got to grow outside of you with, you know, very detailed standard operating procedures. Um, so people understand if you're not there, how does this thing run? Um, how would it run if somebody else that was a key employee left? How would it run where the business is a true entity of its own, um, not just a, a, a people, um, you know, dependent circumstance? Right. It goes back to the old phrase of, do you work in your business or do you work on your business? And that's a really key question to ask yourself if you're trying to grow and scale the business is how involved you have to be for the business to run. And I think solopreneurs and entrepreneurs, they want to pull away. I think a lot of it has to do with their ability to trust other people and willingness to trust other people. And that's going to hold you back from scaling. You have to let go. You have to hire people that are just as good as you, if not better. And you have to be willing to trust people that you train them properly. They can do just as well as you do. And that's what's going to allow the company to grow and scale in a way that it just can't if you're the only one doing all the work. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. We are, in my opinion, not recreating the wheel in any manner. We, we use, like I said, loco no-code software that's out there for the general public to do automation process. We do a lot because we want to you know, maintain margins and we know that there's challenges with that in the States with some of the industries that we work in. So we use a lot of folks overseas, the Philippines, right before this call, I was on the call with a guy that I work with out of, the, out of Pakistan. Um, I've got guys and, and ladies that work for me all over the world and I'm grateful for them. And truth be told, a lot of them are a lot smarter than me in their specific industry and domain and all that kind of stuff that that's how we scale up. And so getting these getting these teams and these businesses that we buy and acquire to move to platforms that allow them to see that bigger vision is always the big initial lift. We've got a 100 day plan that we roll out. Um, we're pretty aggressive on 
And sometimes it's as simple as moving everybody from, you know, desktop based, um, you know, documents and manage file management, all that kind of stuff to just cloud based because I have to share with them the vision like this back office will not be built here. It will be built in the Philippines so we can maintain margins. And these people are incredibly smart and capable. And so, yeah, I just all that to be said is, is those that are getting into this space and those that are interested in these types of businesses, you've got to be prepared to scale up in a way that's maybe not old conventional ways. Um, it, it's now you know, time to do it in a slightly different way by utilizing a global workforce. 100%. And that leads me to a next great question, which is, as you've grown this business, you said it started in 2020, said Sarah? Yep. yep. Uh, what mistakes have you made over the last three years in making that effort or attempt to scale and grow? And then most importantly, if you can follow it up with, what did you learn from those mistakes? Yeah, great question. So our business, we buy blue collar industrial type businesses exclusively in Texas. I can't describe to you how many deals I get sent in a week that are not in Texas. And I think for a while there, I got distracted. I remember I looked at a co-packing company in St. Louis that I really liked. I got distracted for so long when the reality was, you know, when I looked at it, I wasn't going to move to St. Louis. Um, I didn't really want to fly to St. Louis every single week. Um, you know, as much as there's, you know, nice businesses all out there, our business is predicated on the fact that we want to be able to have these real relationships with these employees and the customers and all that kind of stuff that we don't want to play kind of traditional private equity of, you know, sitting far away, hiring a bunch of consultants, um, and, you know, basically, you know, financial arithmetic of getting it through the door and transacted and all that kind of stuff. We really want to be a shepherd for these businesses that um, previously were owned by founders for 20, 30 years. And we want to own them for 20, 30 years. So we struggled to scale initially from a focus perspective. We've got that figured out now. We exclusively are in Texas for a reason. It's a huge economy. I think it's the 10th in the world now. Um, there's plenty of opportunity. Um, so we're very focused from that perspective. And then our most recent challenge, which I did not really think through, truth be told, this is part of the learning. You, you first crawl, then you walk, then you run. Um, the way that we got started was I would go in and step in as CEO, you know, president basically for the first six months and then go hire somebody to take over day-to-day -day operations after that. Well, when I talk about centralized businesses versus decentralized business, I didn't realize inadvertently I was creating a centralized business again, <laughs> where I would come in and I would run it. And then six months later, I'd be like, all right, see you later. You're going to run it with this new guy and all the employee relationships and the dynamics and all that kind of stuff were hinged on me in the way that I had structured it. And so that was a very inefficient long-term way to think about this. Um, where we've had to make these changes along the way, um, you know, essentially to be able to scale up. So now we build out a bench of folks that love small businesses and want to be in Texas and want to run these types of businesses with a bigger vision in mind, um, with a long-term legacy type focus. And we re we're constantly recruiting for those um, so that when we have a business that we like, um, we can insert somebody at the time um, and, and they can run the business alongside us. Very cool. And it's a great way to kind of have your own little board of directors built in within the company. They That's can step true. in any time and they each have their own expertise and own industry standards and knowledge and so on and so forth. And they can take over uh, based on their background. But it's nice to have a team of people that can run it and help each other. And you, you become less personal. It becomes less emotional as well. It becomes Correct. Yeah, I, agree. I do and do well. Let me do this part for you. 
Yeah, I 100% agree. I also think, you know, it's very fascinating doing calls like this and other situations that I've been in networking wise. There's a lot of people that really love small business that maybe it was a challenge for them to go buy a business. They maybe don't have the capital or don't have the, the expertise in order to do what we do from the transaction side. But they are amazing people with amazing skill sets and operating abilities that just want an opportunity to go just run at 100 miles an hour. And I love the chance to be able to resource those types of folks um, within the businesses that we acquire. And I think, you know, now reality TV has kind of kicked in with, you know, Shark Tank and uh, Mark Lamonis and his, uh, what's his show called? Profit. Uh, yeah. He like kind that. of comes in. What's it called? Yep. I can't remember the name of it. It's been a minute since he was doing that, I think. I don't know if he's still doing it all the time now. I've, I, at least I haven't caught an episode in a while. But yeah. It's um, a cool idea. It's a cool concept. Yep. to contact them in, evaluate what's going on, put it on the right track, give them new equipment, give them a facelift, and then turn them back loose again. But imagine if you had 10 of those Mark Limonis. You know, imagine if all those guys, you could just jump from city to city in Texas or from project to project and kind of come in, revamp write a check, make it happen, and then move on. It's just kind of a cool challenge. I mean, if you run a business and you're tired of the same old business, this would be a way to have a new business challenge every six months, once a year. Yeah. And it's exciting as to the relationship you develop and the challenge you could be up against. You, you just spoke the broader vision, David. That's exactly right. I want to sit on a Texas ranch with 10 operators of businesses that we run in Texas and I want to be proud to tell my kids that I took over the business from this person and I took over a business from that person. And we are we are running them with integrity and we're running them with a 10, 30, 40 year vision in mind. Very cool. So walk me through a success story, Malcolm. Obviously, you talk about why you started. And it sounds like we just talked about your success story, <laughs> the feeling you'll have when it'll happen. But there might be one that's a little more uh, de detailed, meaning that there's someone you have worked with in the last three years that was struggling to sell it or sell it to find someone to take over that you really just it reinforces why you started uh, set Sarah to begin with. Just something you're really proud of. Yeah. Um, it's hard to imagine. It was hard to imagine at the time how this was all going to play itself out. I never anticipated being in situations where I'd be sitting in a room, you know, with an owner having them tear up because they wish they had a son, niece, nephew, or daughter to be able to go run these businesses. I never anticipated that. I'm coming up on 33. Um, I feel young still, you know, in so many ways. Um, but I am, you know, I never anticipated it would be a, um, an answer to what they were looking for. And so we acquired a business not too long ago where the owner, um, the, the family member, died during COVID um, from COVID, some heart complications because of it. And the daughter took over and the daughter had no business running the business. She, she would be the first to admit that she's not a business person, but she felt she needed to run the business right. She made some good decisions along the way, but she wasn't able to be there long term um, for multiple different reasons. And so being able to come into a situation like that, to be able to solve that equation for her of I, I really want to honor my dad. I really want this business to be able to continue on. Um, and I, I'm interested in creating a win-win situation for that to take place. I mean, that's what I live for, to be able to close transactions like that. And then candidly, to be able to hold on to the baton and move it forward. So that's where we fit in. I, I often tell folks, you know, 
not to be too, um, you know, morbid or, or, um, you know, candid about this, but we often run into people that I think struggle with the three D's. They struggle with, you know, death coming up on the, on the horizon. They struggle with moments like divorce and they struggle with moments of disinterest. And those three junctions of life, they cause you to make decisions. And when you can have somebody like us to take over your business in those situations where I promise you, you'll be honored if you walk through the door in five years time, because I have such deep respect for those that are able to run businesses from zero to, you know, seven figures and beyond. Um, you know, that's where, where we've been really successful is to be able to solve problems like that, where a family member dies, the next family member is not capable of running the business and we can take it over and they feel honored in the process. Is there an example you can think of a company? I don't know if you can name the name, but you feel like you accomplished that or you feel like you did that. And now your family, your friends of the family and you know, that it's more of a personal touch. Like it just, you know what, this is why I started this, you know, and you turn to your family, your friends, your spouse, your kids and say, you know what, man, I love what I do. Yeah. I mean, I think that it, it goes beyond just that moment, right? Like, it, it is a, um, you know, one the company most recently purchased, I think we're doing it right and improving it where, you know, historically, maybe they didn't have as many benefits as some of the other companies can provide. And we were able to roll those out within three months of buying them. And so I think that that's where we step in and say, wow, we are building on the backbone of a 72 year old manufacturing company that has this amazing reputation in the market. And we can go improve it for our employees and not just, um, you know, hope to God that they stay there for years and years and years to come. But to really do it right, I think, is the is the thought process there. So um, I think that that way um, and, and speaking to the previous owner after and the improvements we're making and the trajectory that we're on, I think it brings a warmth to you know them and their family and so on and so forth that may or may not always be articulated. But I think we're doing it right. Where, like I said, you know, instances where people walk through the door and we haven't seen them in a year or, you know, the previous owner is checking in, um, we're able to say, like, look, there's people are happy here. And you can see a lot of faces, if not all of them, that were here when you left. That's that's what I want to do. Um, and that's what we do on a day to day basis. Fantastic. Uh, walk me through, Malcolm. I love top three lists because I think after an episode of lots of great information like this one's been. I think it's nice to always have a bite-sized takeaway. And you reference skill set for seven figure and skill set for eight figures a couple of times. So I think this would be a great summary for the for the interview. Can you give me a top three skill set to build a company to seven figures? And then because you felt seven to eight was a whole nother level of skill sets, can you do it again for me for the eight figure person? I will yeah, that's a good that's a good question. I've never been asked. This can be uh, a succinct, I'll try to be as succinct as possible. I think zero to seven figures um, is ability to have a very under, good understanding about what the market needs to be able to go jump into it. So if you say, I have this idea, but you can't articulate exactly how this is going to be um, sold is, is the big part of it or how it's going to be transacted with the customer. I think that is a skill set you have to have from zero to seven. If you say, I have an idea for X, and you can't tell me how you're going to drive revenue in that space around that idea, it, you're not set up to be successful in zero to seven because you have to drive revenue. You can sell to VCs and angel investors and all this kind of stuff. 
But a wise angel investor and VC has to be able to ask the question, how are you going to drive revenue? Um, and, and that same happens if you're going to bootstrap the business. So um, I think that's the first point of zero to seven. I think the next uh, zero to seven is be able to convince those that want to be in the early days, the kind of first battalion of folks to be able to work in a very gray environment. Um, that gray environment is a um, amoeba of sorts that you know ebbs and flows, and they have to be able to adjust to that. Some people just can't. They like structure. They like um, all those types of things. And then finally, um, being able to be the sales guy. I think that one of the biggest challenges for most folks in the zero to seven is they have a great idea, but they don't want to be the salesperson. I think that some salespeople can adjust to that, but often you have to have a very clear vision of kind of what sales looks like from zero to seven. Um, that's my take. Um, once you understand the market fit, then you've got to be able to get people on board that can operate in the gray for a real good, you know, economical price. And then second, uh, thirdly, you have to be able to drive sales with a vision in mind. From yeah. the, I want to add to that just a little bit because I feel like I know a lot of inventors. I'm an inventor myself, and I think that's the biggest weakness inventors have. I mean, only I think I saw a stat: three percent of products ever hit the market, and that's a blaring number. Why not? Why do only three percent of the market? Well, because a lot of them just can't sell. Yep. Not necessarily they really can't sell; they don't want to sell. They don't want to put their time into selling. But there's no one more passionate and more excited about the product than you if you create it. So the engineers that are out there that want to get out there and make a bunch of products that are great, just understand that sales is part of the process to really make the product take off. And you mm -hmm. have to fake it till you make it, so to speak. And if you don't enjoy it, just understand by you selling, you'll hear the objections, you'll hear the problems, you'll hear the concerns, and that allows you to make tweaks to the product. Then they have like a, a secondary launch, a third launch, and so on and so forth. But if you're not the one out there listening and talking and demonstrating the product, you'll never really know if the product is a good market fit and you're not going to know how well the market is going to accept the product and so on. There's just so much you can learn by you, the inventor going out there and trying to sell it. But so many uh, inventors don't want to sell the product. They want to hire salespeople to do it that are just, it's a job for them, you know, and it's not the same passion and excitement that they would have as the inventor themselves. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, as a business owner, having a, set a skill set to deal with or a um, resolve to deal with uh, rejection, but knowing that you still have a bigger vision of what's to come with your idea or the business you're building, being able to do that, I think, I think that creates a long-term success for that business. And you don't get that um, experience unless you're out there, the one selling it. I, I just yeah. don't believe that happens. So um so to your question about, you know, seven figures into eight figures, I, I think at that point, it's getting very, very skilled people. First and foremost is getting very, very skilled people that have the same alignment of what you're trying to achieve. And um, you have to go get those people that are A players and building in structure financially, you know, but also just kind of long term vision wise that gets them on the boat for a long period of time. So creating stability in what you're doing with these owners is super, super, or sorry, not these owners, these, uh, these key players is super um, important. So for example, it's got to look like getting a guy who is a, a player from 3M or Apple, or in our case, one of the businesses, we're not far from SpaceX, 
that's a key player and getting them on the same board with the right incentive plan, all that kind of stuff is a different set of skill set, I believe, um, that you have to be able to do. Um, the next is, uh, you know, often a lot of businesses that get to seven figures, they don't have a very good diversification of customers. And so going from seven to eight figures, I think you have to broaden your diversification of customers so you don't have a weak point. A lot of businesses that we interact with that have gotten to this stage but can't go beyond it is they have a huge customer concentration issue. That's a big challenge for us. Um, how do I go step into that business, give you cash when we close, and know that 80% of your revenue comes from one customer? That's a big challenge. Um, so being able to broaden your customer exposure um, is super important. And then lastly, that we spend a lot of time on is how do we scale up what people work on? I like to call them $10 tasks. A lot of folks um, spend time on things that just don't move the needle at this point. They get to a point, we've just been doing it this way for a long, long time. You've got to think about how do we scale up from an automations um, perspective and a data management perspective. Um, and so that goes into our SOPs as well as our um, scale up with low code, no code software, I think is that key next step. Hmm. All great points. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I think everyone that's listening, whether you have a six figure income, six figure business, seven figure, eight figure, or even want to get to nine figures, these are all key components to having the next step uh, become reality. And again, this is about hiring the right people. And the, the better your team, the more opportunity to scale and grow and uh, and obviously, you have to have those relationships in place and be able to deal with people, handle people. There's a lot of challenges relationship-wise as well. I do want to uh, go back to your original point about handling rejection because I think it's a key point as well that I think a lot of engineers and a lot of people in general have a hard time handling is hearing the word no. Mm. And when you create a product and you create a business and someone says, no, no, thank you. I don't need that. I don't want it. I think it's stupid. It, if you take that personally, it's really, really challenging to, to lead that business to great things. You learn to develop tough skin. You learn to how to teach your salespeople how to handle the rejection because no one likes it. Yeah. So how do you teach them to present in a way that we minimize rejection? It's part of reality, but how can we become tougher? How can we become, how can our presentation get sharper so that we have less rejections to face, but understand rejection is all part of the process. Even if they need it and want it, some people still tell you no because they need a process. They need to think about it. They need to do the research. So finding those people in the team that can handle rejection is, is definitely an incredible skill set to develop and to, to find people that have been there, done that. With businesses, you hear a lot of no's. They develop a tough skin without being pushy. And that's the other fine line of how do you develop someone that's tough skin, can handle rejection, but it's not obnoxious about it or not pushy about it that then destroys the entire image of your company. So will never do business with you again because how you push them. I think that's a real tricky balancing act. Yeah, I'll, I'll say one more thing. That was really good, David. I, I completely, completely agree. Um, one thing that was really eye-opening to me, and I think this is just business commerce in general, um, is if you go drive around anywhere or you interact with any type of product, there is always going to be a competitor in that market. There will always be. And sometimes when you start from ground zero, particularly if you think you come up with a revolutionary idea, you believe that everybody is your market to some extent, right? You think, ah, oh, this is perfect. It's got to happen. It's got to happen to this group of people. You can go pull a list of 2,000, 3,000 potential prospects of people that you should be able to sell to because you've got this perfect avatar in mind of the type of person you're supposed to be able to sell to. And you just believe that they should still be your market. Well, every single person on the planet, for the most part, 
you know, that is of age is using a, a cell phone. Well, there's multiple competitors all around the globe in cell phone market that that one phone does not fit the other. So you could say that the need was vast and that your idea solves that problem in a wide spectrum of folks, but they still won't buy. And being able to deal with that, I think, is it allows you to be kind of ahead above shoulders for everybody else. 100 percent. Well, Malcolm, it's been great talking with you. I appreciate your insight, your intellect, uh, what you're doing for all these wonderful businesses in Texas. And I have to vote for expansion outside Texas. <laughs> There's <laughs> great companies all over the, across the country. They're like, man, why can't Malcolm come to Kentucky and yeah. Georgia and North Carolina where I am and so on and so forth. So hopefully those who are listening can look at Malcolm as a model to bring into their state uh, and to do the same great things that he's doing in Texas uh, where they are, which is, I think, an, an incredible opportunity. Uh, walk us through, Malcolm, how people can get a hold of you. If they're in Texas, listen to this, or they know someone in Texas, they have family, friends in Texas, and they need your help, how can they get a hold of you? And then also, if people are outside of Texas but would love to do what you're doing in Texas or have a business outside of Texas and looking for someone that does something similar to what you do in their state, maybe you can refer them. Uh, walk us through website, social media. If you want to give out an email or phone, you're more than welcome to, but not required. Uh, just how people can get a hold of you. Yeah, thanks. Um... To your point, there's lots of folks all around the country doing this. I've met people in Chattanooga. I've met people in Durham, North Carolina. I've met people all over the place. So um, shout out to all those folks that are doing this for space. Uh, you can find us um, at Sitsera. So with Sitsera Growth Partners, you can find us at sitsera.com. It's spelled T-S-E-T-S-E-R-R-A. I'm fairly active and on Twitter. Um, so you can get me on there. We have an info at sitsera.com email that will go into there either i'll answer it or somebody on the team will answer it but we'll get back to you super fast um but there's forms on there to be able to fill out if you want to get a hold of us book a call love to be able to chat anybody that's interested we're always looking for new investments we do deal by deal basis so we're always raising capital um, we're always looking at great businesses to buy and we're always wanting to build out the deck or the bench sorry um, for those that want to be able to run these businesses in texas so um welcome any kind of conversation um all very cool. Well, Malcolm, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, I really appreciate your time and your insight and all the great tips you gave us. Cool. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Malcolm. And you've listened to another episode of the Perky Collar Radio Show. Thank you for tuning in. Are you looking for a great franchise opportunity? Well, you're in luck because Perky LLC is now ready to scale and grow all across the country. So if you're a fashion lover, you enjoy helping people put together outfits and look amazing, well, the Perky LLC franchise is for you. Check out the website, franchising.perkyllc.com to learn more. And we will see you at the next location in a mall near you. What is the Perky Collar? It is a collar support system for dress shirts. That's right, over 18,000 of these amazing devices have been sold globally. How does it work? Lift the collar, add the Perky Collar with the long tapered ends on top, lower your collar on top. Adjust to make sure it's even around the collar, and that's it. You've now transformed your droopy, saggy dress shirt collar to a brand new looking dress shirt ready to tackle Sweaters, jackets, blazers, and the collar still stays nice and tall. How do you find it? The website's perkyllc.com. 
That's spelled P as in Paul, E as in Elephant, R as in Robert, K as in Kangaroo, Y as in Yo-Yo, LLC, LarryLarryCharlie.com. That's PerkyLLC.com. Get yours today, or if you're in Charlotte, North Carolina, visiting or live here, feel free to come by South Park Mall's kiosk located between Francesca's and Toomey. Best entrance is Maggiano's and Cheesecake Factory. See you soon. Look your best. Have a great day. Perky LLC is a clothing innovation company. We solve clothing-related problems such as a droopy, saggy dress shirt collar, the pocket square that doesn't seem to sit still properly, it unfolds, it falls down, the shirt that keeps coming untucked, collar stays that keep curling on you, and more and more issues with your belt, cracking, splitting, holeless belts are the solution. You can adjust them by a quarter inch instead of having to go up an inch or down an inch. What about that lapel you want to use as an accent color to match a dress or as a color accent to your wardrobe? This and many other fun fashion accessories are available at PerkyLLC.com. Beyond innovation, we also have fashion accessories, bow ties, you name it, from feather to blingy to wooden, even wooden ones that move, even wooden ones that showcase the skyline of cities all across the country. Check out PerkyLLC.com for all these great fashion accessories, and innovative solutions.